0: Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is the only bed that effortlessly adjusts and responds to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. During our lowest prices of the season, the new Queen Sleep Number 360 C2 Smart Bed is only $899. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live By Live. Visit livexlive.com or search LiveXLive in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now. This is my radio.
1: This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Week in Review. Donald Trump on Wednesday became the first president in U.S. history to be impeached twice, this time for inciting a deadly mob attack at the Capitol in a desperate bid to remain in power. The House of Representatives voted 232 to 197 to once again impeach Trump, pushing for his removal with a week left in his presidency On the grounds that he committed high crimes and misdemeanors by inciting the insurrection today in a bipartisan way the house demonstrated that no one is above the law not even the president of the united states that donald trump is a clear and present danger to our country and that once again we honored our oath of office to protect and defend the constitution of the United States, so help us God. And now, I sadly, and with a heart broken over what this means to our country, of a president who would incite insurrection will sign the engrossment of the article of impeachment. The vote was largely along party lines with a surprising number of GOP defectors who crossed the aisle to vote to impeach the president. Their actions represent a startling break from a man who demands complete and total loyalty from his GOP subjects. This became evident last week for those who voted to certify the election for Joe Biden and found themselves the target not just of Trump's Twitter feed, but also an angry mob. (laughs) The GOP push to impeach was led by Wyoming House leader, Liz Cheney, who seems to have jump-started her own 2024 presidential campaign by finally taking a stand against Donald Trump, calling for his immediate removal from office. The day saw impassioned speeches from scores of lawmakers who described the terror they felt while hiding for their lives from an angry mob loose in the Capitol. Smashing windows and beating police officers over the head with fire extinguishers. A bloodthirsty mob attacked the Capitol and invaded this Congress last Wednesday. They erected a gallows and repeatedly chanted, hang Mike Pence. They stormed Speaker Pelosi's office yelling, where's Nancy? They brandished the Confederate battle flag and occupied the Senate chamber. They wounded dozens of people, hospitalizing dozens of people, killed five of our people. For six hours, they shut down the counting of electoral college votes, our sacred process under the Constitution for peaceful transfer of power in the United States. They may have been hunting for Pence and Pelosi to stage their coup, but every one of us in this room right now could have died. As Senator Lindsey Graham said, the mob could have blown the building up They could have killed us all. Others describe their anger and fury at President Trump for his role in stoking the rioters' anger over a big lie of election fraud and lighting the fuse last week with his words of provocation at the protests, urging his supporters to march on the Capitol building and fight. But for two months now, Donald Trump has refused to accept the will of the American people. Over and over again, he's told his supporters he didn't really lose. The election was stolen from him and from them and as they grew angrier and angrier over this perceived injustice he told them there was still a way to keep him in power so as
0: congress prepared to meet for the sacred ritual of certifying the results of the presidential election the president made his move he directed his supporters to travel to washington for a rally to stop the steal they did he then once assembled he had one final request march on the u.s capitol do what it takes to help me hold on to power we will never give up. We will never concede, he told them. You, you, if you don't fight like
1: hell, he warned, you're not gonna have a country anymore. That Trump incited the riot is without question. There is no way to spin what happened. The whole world watched it unfold on television. We have a Twitter trail a thousand messages long. We also know this wasn't just some spontaneous spasm of violence that randomly happened. It was a planned fucking event. Yet, to my enduring mystery, there are still significant numbers of Trump apologists willing to stand by the president. Chief among them, Ohio Representative Jim fucking Jordan. Listening to him rant on the floor of Congress was an exercise in patience that tested my will.
0: It's about politics. This is about getting the president of the United States. They spied on his campaign before he was elected. 19 minutes into his presidency, they started the impeachment push. Three-year Mueller investigation, 19 lawyers, 40 agents, 500 witnesses, 2,500 subpoenas, $40 million to find nothing. Impeachment round one based on an anonymous whistleblower with no first-hand knowledge, who was biased against the president and who worked for Joe Biden. And now it's impeachment round two.
1: That I didn't jam myself in the eye repeatedly with a steak knife is probably the day's biggest miracle. I can't fucking stand this guy. He represents the absolute very worst of the congressional MAGA leaders, one of those people who believes Donald Trump to be infallible and defending him at all costs. During yesterday's impeachment, Jordan argued for an audience of one, claiming ridiculously that this impeachment was not about last Wednesday's riot, but instead Democrats wanting to cancel the president.
0: This is scary where this goes because this is more than about impeaching the president of the United States. This is about canceling the president and canceling all the people you guys disagree with. Either Trump has
1: serious blackmail on this guy or Jordan is seriously mentally ill. There is no other way to explain how he and others like him continue to appease the president even after the events of January 6th. Stop the steal! Stop the steal! Stop the steal! (laughs) ARGUMENTS FOR TRUMP'S DEFENSE PROCEED FROM THE POINT OF VIEW THAT DEMOCRATS ARE OBSESSED WITH DESTROYING THE PRESIDENT AND HAVE BEEN SINCE DAY ONE AND THIS LATEST IMPEACHMENT IS JUST PART OF A CONTINUAL WITCH HUNT AGAINST THE PRESIDENT. QUITE SIMPLY, TO MEN LIKE JIM JORDAN, WE ARE CANCELING TRUMP. Part of the collective GOP delusion is this sense of victimhood where they are this oppressed group of people being held down by a mixture of George Soros, the Deep State, and goddamn scooby fucking Do. This idea of cancel culture, or at least its application by thin-skinned Republicans, was that they were being erased from a culture that has no place for them anymore. Stand shoulder to shoulder, you can erase us, you'll just have to face us. That we want to rid our world of bigotry, xenophobia, and other overt hate speech is not cancellation, guys. It's the hallmark of a civilized society. Trump apologists have used the term any time they receive pushback censor or revulsion for scores of trespasses. Josh Hawley cried cancel culture when Simon & Schuster canceled his book contract on the grounds that they didn't want to be in business with a man who helped overthrow the United States government. I think they're gonna find that the American people are tired of the cancel culture, they're tired of the woke mob, and they want to hold on to who we are together and to find common ground. We will see a continuous effort from Trump's most loyal sycophants to recast January 6th in the most sympathetic light possible. There are some who argue that the protesters were forced to riot by dint of their frustration over an election that was stolen from them, that they were patriots invoking the spirit of 1776
0: in the hopes of rescuing their nation. And they lied to people and they said, go fight, Mm -hmm. go fight because everything's on the line. That's what they said. And when people fought, they came to fight and then they fought Capitol Police and now people are dead. And those same members of Congress who called people to fight, well, they were nowhere to be found because it was all fun and games to them. They never knew what a real fight was. Real fights are scary. Bullets flying, that's scary. The glass breaking, that's really scary. They were nowhere to be found, they scattered. They'd been talking about the courage to stand up to this, the courage to fight for weeks and weeks, but when it came down to it, there was no courage. That's what really happened, Martha, and that's what people need to know. They were lied to. They were lied to about what January 6th was. Election integrity is important. This, of course, is all
1: horseshit. The rioters were brainwashed thugs, hell bent on causing real harm. It has become increasingly clear that inside the larger riot was an even more frightening group of hardcore MAGA extremists determined to take hostages and murder lawmakers. That they didn't succeed is thanks only to the bravery of a few Capitol police officers who stood their ground despite great personal danger. <laughs> were armed with AR-15s, carried pipe bombs, and wore paramilitary-style tactical gear with Kevlar vests. That there wasn't a massacre, or even a higher death toll, is a miracle, prevented only by the bravery of a few police officers who stopped the rioters from reaching the lawmakers. Don't on me, boy! Just go home! Okay? You see me! Just go home! Talk to and go home! Jordan also argued that the Democrats were applying an unfair double standard against the President with their support of last summer's Black Lives Matter protests. He was part of a rising chorus of Trump apologists who were comparing January 6th to the largely peaceful Black Lives Matter protests, believing that the small instances of violence and vandalism that occurred were the same as what went on last Wednesday. It is an absurd argument, and I'm doing a lousy job of explaining it. So I'll let Jim Jordan explain his point of view. I repeat only in that it's important to know what's being said and offer rebuttal as Trump apologists will waste no time trying to rinse the president of culpability. Today, I
0: still believe that there are two systems of justice, two systems of outrage. But today, there's one for the left and one for the right. It seems the rules are applied unequally, and we have lived under incredible tension on top of that for the last year. For many, last
1: Wednesday's attack served as a wake-up call to the dangers posed by Trump's coalition of QAnon conspiracists, militia extremists, and white supremacists who make up the vanguard of his MAGA army. I don't want to spread panic and alarm by discussing the imminent threat posed by these groups, but we must now remain vigilant. Trump commands the complete loyalty of a standing army comprised of thousands of hardcore loyalists, many who are willing to die for him. On Monday, House Democrats got an initial look at the current environment of violent right-wing threats during a sobering phone briefing from the FBI.
0: We are going to begin with breaking
1: news because there's a lot of it tonight. As we come on the air, the FBI has issued an urgent law enforcement bulletin saying groups are planning armed protests at the U.S. Capitol and at state capitals ahead of President-elect Biden's inauguration. The FBI says there are also threats against Mr. Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, along with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Trump spent Wednesday, in a state of rage, watching whatever was left of his legacy burn while being impeached. Cut off from Twitter, he has become increasingly isolated, a political leper in his own administration, with advisors and staff being warned by their own legal counsel to stay the fuck away from the president lest they find themselves dragged into a conspiracy charge or worse. To commiserate with Trump is to be complicit with his next trespass. He has thus found himself almost completely alone. But for all the shame he feels at this moment, his complete and total repudiation pales in comparison to what he has brought upon himself from the business community. The first shot fired was from the conservative PGA who announced they were withdrawing their tournament from Trump's New Jersey property.
0: Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Of all
1: the indignities the increasingly unhinged president believes have been foisted upon him, impeachment, election rejection, Twitter banishment, it's possible none will sting more than the PGA of America's announcement this past Sunday night that it will move the 2022 PGA Championship from Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey. For Trump, it's the ultimate insult. These are his people, rich, white, conservative, and for them to abandon him, Trump sees as the ultimate betrayal. The justice here is magnificent, and I'm delighted that corporate America has finally stepped up in a way that the GOP has not and will not because of Trump's lingering hold on the party. And now, for the main event. Reading and watching the accounts of both lawmakers and working press who were stuck in the Capitol building during that riot has been absolutely chilling. I don't think most people truly appreciate how close we came to there being an absolute massacre. My fear now is what lurks on the horizon. Like I said, these people didn't just materialize from nowhere last Wednesday. That they returned to attack seems inevitability in hopes of better understanding the security threat we face, I reached out to Ali Velshi, the host of MSNBC's Last Word. Velshi himself had scores of friends and colleagues in the Capitol building that day, and describes to me their terror, but also sense of anger and utter betrayal felt by those left to fend for themselves against the mob. So let's listen now to that conversation. Alrighty, so I'm here with Ali Velshi. It is an honor to have you here on Mea Culpa this morning, Ali. I got to just jump right into it because we have a lot to talk about. I mean, America is in crisis. I watch you all weekend long, and I'm going to steal your line. America is in crisis. So, you know, Ali, there are certain moments in history, once a generation, in fact, that serve as an inflection point where nothing is the same afterwards. We experienced this with 9-11. I remember specifically where I was at each and every moment and the profound changes that it brought upon this nation. In what ways do you believe that January 6th of 2021 will change this nation?
0: Well, uh, Michael, I think the interesting thing about the year that led up to it, uh, basically 11 months of 2020, is that we saw things... That would have fallen into that category anyway, right? The coronavirus is is life changing and defining, uh, and the president's handling of it. And then we saw the social justice movements, which were life changing and defining, particularly for people who hadn't experienced uh, you know injustice at the hands of the justice system or police. So this would have already been a, a, a an incredible year to 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 mark our future. And then we had this election, which sort of sent a message that um, people would like some return to normalcy. They would actually like to uh, live in a world that is unified, or at least we'd try to get there. And that was Joe Biden's message. There were a lot of Democrats who didn't think Joe Biden was the best candidate, but he definitely captured the moment in saying, you know, unity and and, and lower the temperature is the way we want to move forward. And I started to think that that looked like victory, right? Not because of... Uh, of um, political victory, but the idea that uh, normalcy was going to overcome what Donald Trump had brought us for four years. And then we saw January 6th. And I've seen all of this. I've been in the streets for months. I was there for the protests. I go out every weekend. I was talking to voters before the election. I have gone out and spoken to small businesses and workers since COVID. I'm out there in America, and I understood that there were conspiracy theories and there was nonsense going on. This was a whole nother level to me. The idea that people went in there on the understanding that this felt like 1776, or it felt like a a civil war, a revolution. They were willing to use violence against armed people to take the capital of the United States of America. For anybody who didn't think this was a serious problem, January 6th changed everything. It made them understand that a third of your country. It does not share the basic values you share about democracy and elections and and fairness and it's being stoked by Donald Trump and I'm I'm fascinated that this guy's power uh is greater than somebody who's actually at the head of the military. Once he leaves office, he still has sway over people who will give up their lives and 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 fight uh for the kinds of things that that don't make sense that we have a political system for. So I'm I, I don't know what we're going to call this in in five years or 10 years or 20 years. Uh, you know, right now, it might be a coup attempt right now it might be a riot, might be mob rule. But it's going to be something that defines who we are as a country, probably, as you say, for four decades to come.
1: You know, the question then, of course, becomes which normalcy? What normalcy are we talking about? Are we talking about the normalcy of a Ronald Reagan, the normalcy of a Barack Obama? Or are we talking about the normalcy now of Donald J. Trump, which I have said now for almost two full years is abnormal, right? It's, it's no different than young Frankenstein. It's, it's an ab- abnormal brain that's sitting inside this man's head. I mean, I want you to think about for a second because on MSNBC and other stations, they play this one clip over and over of this individual that's walking through the Capitol doors through the rotunda. And, you know, for me, it was very painful because I worked in the Capitol in 1987 and 1988 when I was in college. I worked for Congressman Joe Moakley. And to me, it was the most fascinating, magnificent museum-style building. And to watch this coup, this attack on the breaking of the doors and the windows and the defacing of the statues that, you know, to me, like I said, Reminds me of a museum. I watch this man as he's walking and screaming in the air. And I, the first thing that came to my mind is who the fuck is he screaming at? Right? I mean, that's the rage that Donald Trump has sparked. That's what his dog whistle has, you know, gaslighted in individuals who, for some reason, want to overthrow this government, who want a coup. And the worst part about it is that they
0: want Donald Trump to be their leader. Fascinating to me. Um, And I I worked at the, the Capitol just after you did. I worked for Congressman Lee Hamilton, and I used to walk, uh, you know, I'd walk down uh, First Avenue uh, between the Supreme Court and the Library of Congress and the Capitol every day. And I'm, I'm Canadian, so we don't venerate um, the Capitol and, and American politics the way Americans do. But as a Canadian, I can tell you, everybody in the world looks at that Capitol dome. And whether you like American foreign policy or not, or you like the government, you do know that that represents the power of the people over tyranny, the power of the people uh, over oppression. So to see Donald Trump advocate for the things he was advocating for. I mean, I'll give Donald Trump credit. He won an election at one point. Uh, Lots of people believed him and he has this remarkable ability to to get people to empathize with him. I'm fascinated by it, but you know this better than I do. He has tapped into something that is that exists all over the world. There is a dissatisfaction, uh, a nativism, a nativism, a populism all around the world that he's tapped into, uh, but he did something else. He went right to the worst part of it. He went to the actual racism of it. He went to um, the idea that it's a zero-sum game. If, if, if you're gaining, somebody else is gaining rights, uh, you're losing. There was a guy who was tackled by the police in the Capitol the other day, and he's, he's got three cops on him, and they're, they're putting zip ties on him. And he's saying, you're treating me like a black person. And <laughs> and Donald Trump, Trump has completely tapped into the idea that you don't need to be treated like black people. You don't need to be treated like other people. This is your country. When they were saying this is our house and our country, we knew what that meant. So the dog whistle stopped being a dog whistle a long time ago. Donald Trump started saying the quiet parts out loud. And and I never would have thought it would have worked in 2020 America or 2021 America. But not only was I wrong, it's working better than I thought it would for him. Donald Trump's gonna be out of office at noon on January 20th. This movement's not going to be.
1: No, it's not. I mean, and the boldness of some of these insurrectionists wearing the um, Camp Auschwitz t-shirt, staff on the back of it, You know, I only wish that myself and a couple of my buddies were there because we would have taken him, forgetting about the riot going on, we would have taken him outside and tossed him the worst fucking beating that he's ever seen in his life. I mean, he doesn't understand, or maybe he does obviously understand and is trying to make a point. It's Donald Trump who doesn't understand, and I put out myself a tweet that one day he's going to have to explain that to his grandchildren, the children of Ivanka and Jared. All right, who are Jewish? Since Ivanka had fully converted uh, to Orthodox, to modern Orthodox, she's—he's going to have to explain, knowing that the Kushner's, the grandparents, like my father were in the Holocaust and in the camps. So one day, I would like one of the three grandchildren to ask him, hey, Grandpa, why didn't you say something about that when you know it took so many members of our family's lives? I think just Donald Trump is a despicable fucking human being, if you could even call him a human being. I mean, the, the behavior and the fact that he's so tolerant of racism. Sexism, misogyny, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic rantings makes him, to me, just the worst human being. And like you, I could not be happier that the guy is out of office. It
0: it all comes together, right? The fact is the same uh, thing that'll make you be anti-Semitic or homophobic. I mean, he he has tapped into the idea that someone else's rights undermine your own. So in Charlottesville, when people were chanting, Jews will not replace us, or uh, people were saying, this is our house. It's not an inclusive view. And the funny thing about America that so many people think about democracy being the main thing about America. But what I've always thought is that pluralism is the best part of America. The idea that people with different political views, different religious views, different food preferences can all live together and be friends. Nobody has a fear of going to jail because of their beliefs, because of their religion, because of their the, the color of their skin. And what we learn over time is that sometimes we're a little naive. Some people do have fears of these things happening to them. There really is uh, anti-black racism in America. There really is anti-Semitism. There really is Islamophobia and homophobia. And I used to not think the presidency was that important. And what I realized starting from Charlottesville, but certainly during uh, coronavirus and the social justice movements this year is that Wow, what what a difference it would have made if Donald Trump had taken some sort of a leadership role in this. If he had come and said, I can bring you together, I'm so influential, I'm such a big guy, I can do this. And yet he chose the power that he has and it is not insignificant power. You know better than many about the personal <laughs> influence that Donald Trump can have on people. He can do that for millions of people. And he chose to make the wrong decision. It's not that it was out of his control. And then on Wednesday, after this riot, He then put out a video telling these people he loves them. And it wasn't until later that night when he put out a video saying, I I, I don't I condemn this violence and and this isn't who we are. It's like this is exactly who you are. These people wouldn't be here if not for you. You could have said, don't do this. I will not support it. But he didn't. He said, let's march on Capitol Hill. He said, I will be with you. And you know this as well as anybody else. He said, I will be with you. Was he with them? No.
1: It's funny you bring that up because. I want you to think about this and I want the listeners to think about this. If Donald Trump did a complete 180 and instead of spewing for four years hate, he spewed love and instead of divisiveness, he would spew togetherness. Could you imagine how much better we would be based upon his capabilities to bring people to some center and so on? But he found it easier, right, in order to create Hatred between people, because that's actually what got him propelled. Of course, it was calling, you know, I'm stating that Barack Obama was not a U.S. citizen, that he was born in Kenya. And when it put him on the front page of the paper, what he realized is that there's a lot of racism still. There's a lot of hatred still in this country for foreigners. But we do have to acknowledge, Ali, that social media's role in the riot is undeniable and every aspect of what happened last week played out across a variety of platforms over a period of months, not days, over months. First, there was the big lie of the election fraud, and that just went crazy, followed by a series of provocations down to the micro aspects needed for the planning and logistics related to this mass insurrection. I mean, believe me, This did not come out overnight. This was not just one tweet and so on. Do you believe that we are witnessing a splintering of society into these various eco chambers? And if so, how do we put the genie back in the bottle as it seems we've gone down this deep, dark rabbit hole with absolutely no end in sight?
0: Well, so first of all, the one thing I want to say about when you were talking about how he talked about Barack Obama being a Kenyan born Muslim, I don't know if you know this, I'm actually a Kenyan born Muslim. I was born in Nairobi. And so I was just mad that he was, Barack Obama was stealing all my thunder all these years because I could have been one of the most well-known Kenyan-born Muslims in America. But Donald Trump kept saying that was uh, Barack Obama. So, and I'll just tell you, Barack Obama was never at any of the meetings. So I know he's not. The social media part of it is, um, you know, Roger McNamee, who wrote the book Zucked, um, he's the, the head the co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology, which, you know, the movie uh, Social Dilemma uh, is based on he he said to me months ago that he thinks social media and democracy might be incompatible which is hard for me to hear because i'm a big first amendment guy right i'm a journalist i think you should talk i think all ideas should be played out in in an arena uh in front of the public and 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 you know when unless you're doing damage to somebody which by the way a lot of this talk in the last couple of weeks did do um, you should be able to, to vent your ideas but we've moved into a space not of arguing michael about conservative or liberal perspectives on things, not of arguing whether there should be a minimum wage of $15 an hour or no dollars per hour, or whether there should be a Canadian-style single-payer health care or entirely private health care. Those are the debates we should be having in society. We're debating nonsense. So I would be out there talking to voters before the election who would be telling me what a great job Donald Trump did with coronavirus. So I would show them the evidence that said that the United States is Four and a quarter percent of the global population, but we have 19 percent of the world's coronavirus cases and 20 percent of the deaths. And I would show them Johns Hopkins data and other data, and they would say, You're just, your your data's wrong. Donald Trump's done a great job. And it, it went on and on like this. So the voter fraud thing. Donald Trump. I. I, I mean, the guy's very, very, very smart. Let's just let's just say it. He's very smart. He knows how to manipulate people. He finds the 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 spot that he can hit, and he knew that he would sow this discord and sow this discord. And now people believe it. So it's not an argument. It's not when when at MSNBC when we book these secretaries of state or these elections commissioners and they tell us what really happened. it Doesn't matter because his people are not watching me. You know, in the last few weeks before the election, he was bringing up my name at rallies uh, because I got hit by a rubber bullet when I was covering the Minneapolis uh, uh, protests after George Floyd. And I'm thinking to myself- Yeah, I know, I saw that. Why say my name at a Trump rally? There's nobody who knows me there. There's no, nobody who goes to a Trump rally, watches me on MSNBC, we know that. So the, the echo chamber is so deep that it worries me. It worries me, I love my job and I love my audience, but, but I'm not solving for the right problem, right? When I get into deep conversations about uh, the kinds of things that are happening like we are having right now, what's the point of having it on my channel? I'm not getting to the people who were there. I joined Parler a few weeks ago to try and get in on that conversation. It was the shortest lived experience of my life just to see what was going on there because deep down, Michael, I want to believe that we win arguments on the basis of ideas and that there's nothing wrong with liberals and far left people and there's nothing wrong with conservatives and far right people. But I don't believe conservative ideology is about being racist, about being anti-democratic, about being part of a coup attempt. That's what I don't understand. How did that happen? How did Donald Trump convince ideological conservatives who have ideological conservative views to become crazy? I I don't know what happened there. Well, then go
1: back and talk to me about how you believe that technology, meaning uh, mass media, uh, is interfering with our First Amendment rights.
0: So look, on one hand, I I think the problem is that democracy depends on an electorate that is informed. Right so I remember when I first came across the internet you and I were young men and I thought to myself this is amazing like you you can get all the information nobody can pull one over on you and then when social media came out I was an early adopter and I thought this is great no one can lie anymore because if you lie you'll be taken down people will people will tell you what the lie is I completely misunderstood how this was going to go I completely misunderstood how this was going to become an echo chamber for Bad information, and the 2016 election was really clear in that the top 20 fake stories on Facebook got way more traffic, political stories, by the way, than the top 20 real stories. So people had decided to abandon the idea of looking for the truth, and they instead went to that comfortable space uh, where where their echo chambers were, uh, you know, were amplified. So if you are if you have a, a system of communicating of uh, disseminating disseminating information that is fundamentally opposed to you becoming uh, a better informed citizen, this is where the problem lies. And I don't know how you tackle it because Donald Trump's approach, you know, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act really does need to be looked at. It's it's a serious matter, but it's not what he thinks it is. It's not about getting Twitter um, to censor or not censor. It's a different story. Our issue is that we can amplify lies faster than the lies can be challenged. So it's kind of like fighting the virus, right? you got to get more vaccine out there faster than the virus can spread. Otherwise, more people die. It's the same idea. And, and until we realize that social media needs to be regulated in some fashion. And, and on that, I actually agree with Donald Trump and, and some conservatives. It does need to be regulated. I don't know what I, what that looks like yet, but that's what attention, that's what topic we should be giving attention to as citizens once we're through this crazy nonsense we need to start looking at what kind of regulation and responsibility does social media have if they are responsible for spreading lies that undermine democracy and could lead us into fascism but you
1: see that's right but donald trump had the right message but he is emphatically the wrong messenger because donald trump is the greatest spreader of lies I think of any human being on this planet right now. And when you're talking about various different acts in order, you know, to prevent the dissemination of false information, right? Donald Trump wants censorship of that false information so long as it benefits him, right? If it's censoring others
0: to benefit him, he's all in. That's absolutely right. So if you really were, if the idea is let's not censor, then it's let's not censor. Then we then then everything becomes an idea. He just doesn't want. He wants his views to be freely out. And by the way, Michael, that's no different than any fascist and dictator in history. All of the bad things that we can think about in the last few hundred years have all started with a disinformation campaign, including in Germany, right? I mean, who thought Germany? If you were in Germany in the 30s, if you were Jewish and you lived there and you said it's not going to get very bad for us, I'm I'm staying. That wasn't an unreasonable thing to say because Germany was an advanced democracy, an advanced scientific, cultural, artistic, educated society in which uh, Jews had proper positions, and it was all educated. You weren't going to. How was this country going to become um, a, a fascist dictatorship, a murderous dictatorship? And I use that example only to say Germany in the '30s was as strong a country in that environment as America is today. So when you think that things can't be undermined by feeding people BS. You're just wrong. People who have a grievance want to be fed uh, a reason for their grievance. I think the grievance that Donald Trump uh, understood that Americans have, working Americans who feel that they're not prospering in the way they should have, but they see everybody else fighting for their rights and maybe getting rights. I think that's interesting. I'm an economics guy. To me, it's economics, right? We're so unequal that people are mad. But if you don't tell them that really what you're mad about is the way society distributes wealth because there's lots and lots of wealth. There's lots of oil. There's lots of food. There's lots of water. But instead, I tell you, Michael, the reason you're mad is because some black kid took your space in 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 college or a woman got a job that you were supposed to get. It, it all becomes zero sum. Anybody else's rights undermine yours. So even the people fighting for social justice in the streets, black people who said, I just don't want to die when I get pulled over by a cop. Somehow Donald Trump worked that out to be that comes at the expense of your safety, your legitimacy, your citizenship. So he's he's tapped in to a vein, but it's the wrong message, and it's the wrong tapping in that he needs to do. People have a right to be angry in society. They're just angry about the wrong stuff.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Now, of all of the images that I saw over the past week, to me, the absolute most chilling of those um, men in the tactical gear that were carrying police zip ties because I can't help, right, in my mind, what would have happened had they found the people that they were looking for? And if they were ready to kill last Wednesday, what else, right, is on the horizon for us? Because I did say on many shows, especially on, throughout your network of MSNBC and others, I said that I believe the most dangerous time in America is going to be January 6th through January 20th, when Donald Trump becomes the most unhinged and gaslighting, right? And blowing that dog whistle to his MAGA supporters. I mean, what would have happened had they actually found the people that they were looking for?
0: They had zip ties. They would have held those mock trials and executions on the spot quite possibly. I mean, there were a lot of people in there with tactical training, with real weaponry, with climbing gear to get into Congress. I mean, that stuff doesn't just happen. That's not just a bunch of angry people who decided to go into Congress. Uh, Ali Sufan from the Sufan Center, where they do a lot of studying on uh, nationalism and extremism, says that for those of us who are breathing a sigh of relief that uh, that riot, that attempt, that coup attempt didn't work, we're seeing this all the wrong way. This is like ISIS and, and Al-Qaeda. They now have recruiting videos. They they To them, they put a dent in, in democracy or whatever they want to call this. They, they think it's a, a takeover. They put a dent in it. Um, and it's only going to motivate more people to go out uh, and, and to do this. So if you think that was the end, sure, we can put more National Guard, more Capitol Police and all that kind of stuff, and we can do that across the country. That's one thing. Policing and, and security is one thing. But in terms of the sentiment, January 6th was a remarkable success for that group of people.
1: Yeah, it's true. Now, there's obviously going to be an inordinate amount of investigations into the security failures that led to this capital, um, that led to our capital being breached. In in your conversations, I see you have many, many conversations with both law enforcement and lawmakers. What went wrong from a tactical standpoint that allowed this to happen and why haven't there been any updates from the federal government akin to after 9-11 to reassure the American people that something like this is not going to
0: happen again or happen somewhere else? So the first thing that goes wrong is, uh, is that what Republicans are doing right now is saying we should have an investigation into uh, election security. That's literally what Kevin McCarthy's response to the impeachment articles were, that you're still carrying on this, this nonsense that this is somehow about election fraud. It's actually not. Um, you know, one of the things that has come out in the last few days is that the head of the Capitol Police had been asking for days and then five times in the midst of this uh, this insurrectionist mob to get National Guard help uh, and to get Army help. And and the, the, the general in charge of asking the Secretary of the Army for doing this wouldn't do it. He wouldn't even ask the Secretary of the Army. He said doesn't rise to the level. The sergeant at arms in the, the House said it's gonna give the wrong impression if we, you know, look like there are all sorts of guards, National Guard interspersed with police. I, I don't know what made people think this is okay to take a risk on. We knew I knew, I knew it was happening, because I'm on social media. You knew it was happening. Donald Trump said it. He said, let's go on January 6th. He kept telling people all these folks on social media were saying, get on buses. On Parlor, there were all these things about anybody want to share a ride from Chicago uh, and split a room? We all knew this was happening. It is fascinating to me that the intelligence services of the United States of America and the military were not prepared for it. Now, as we're seeing investigations, we're seeing some Capitol Police who are being implicated, some who are heroes, by the way, remarkable uh, heroes, including one who lost their lives. Uh, But we are hearing that there might have been forces inside the government that didn't want to take this seriously. Maybe they didn't know that they would charge the Capitol and actually that people would end up dead. But uh, there were people who didn't want to take this seriously. And you are absolutely right, Michael. This requires an investigation, not just about the security at Capitol Hill, but the the idea that an insurrection was brewing as part of an attempted coup by Donald Trump, and it didn't get taken seriously by our country's uh, uh, intelligence and security officials. I will say this, part of the damage is us. Right. If we don't call these things what they are, if we did not call what Donald Trump was doing uh, after the election and attempted coup, you just think he's, you know, spouting off doing Donald Trump. And that's always the problem. Right. Everybody thinks he's just doing doing Donald Trump. He's undermining democracy right now. And we have to take that very seriously.
1: It's not just him, though. Right. So you mentioned McCarthy. I'm not really sure why you would mention McCarthy. He, other than Mark Meadows, may be the dumbest asshole in Washington. Right. I mean, it's just it's just a fact. He's a dumb asshole. All right. Then you turn around and you look at fucking Rudy Giuliani, another asshole, Don Trump Jr., another quadruple asshole, right? That they sit there in front of this mob, and that's really what they're doing. They're stoking a mob, right? After Donald Trump does his shtick, they then jump on the bandwagon. And they continue with it. So what did they think when Donald Trump said, and let's all go to the Capitol. We're not going to be pussies. We're going to show power. We're going to show strength. We're not going to let them take from us what is rightfully ours, meaning my election. I mean, I just don't understand why there haven't already been charges brought against the low-hanging fruit, the Donald Trump Juniors, the Rudy Giuliani's, right? The Mark Meadows, the McCarthy's, right? Fuck them. As far as I'm concerned, fuck them. File a criminal action against them. Let the attorney general, as far as I'm concerned, do what they did to me when they violated my First Amendment right. I was sitting there waiting for an answer. When they came, they handcuffed and shackled me. I would have liked to seen somebody handcuff and shackle Rudy and Don and Mark Meadows and McCarthy, shackle all of them and send them off somewhere even for if it's only for a day or two or 15 days then throw them in solitary confinement for 15 days more like what they did to me. It's enough already.
0: Yeah, and I think the the, the Washington DC Attorney General has said that he is, uh, he is considering criminal charges against Donald Trump for insurrecting, um, you know, for, for enticing a, a riot. And I, I think one of the reasons why Donald Trump doesn't want to be anywhere near that inauguration is because the minute he stops being president at 12.01 uh, p.m. on January the 20th, uh, I think he understands that he thought he had criminal liability or or, or civil liability, that people were going to lay charges against him. He might now have criminal liability. Uh, and, and I think what's happening is people are thinking, whatever has to be done, uh, let's wait until we don't have to complicate things with whether or not you can indict a president or arrest a president. But the minute he's not president, I think there are a whole lot of people thinking uh, – the the stuff this guy has done resulted in people's deaths and it resulted in the undermining of, of democracy. So you know, I, I agree with you. I don't understand how they I don't even understand how it works. Like, I don't understand how Rudy Giuliani says the things he says and anybody takes him seriously. I, I'm puzzled as to why Rudy Giuliani is listened to on a stage or at a press conference. But that's the kind of stuff we've got. We've got that um Sidney Powell saying crazy stuff, Rudy Giuliani saying crazy stuff, uh Lynn Wood who got banned from Twitter. It, they they, they they say crazy stuff because some people will listen to them. They got 8000 people or, or whatever that number was to march to the Capitol and to Donald Trump. Again, something you'd know better than I do. He gets he really gets a charge out of the adulation. Right. So he may not be thinking this is not the long game or the big game, but it's a fun game for him.
1: Yeah. And, and I said this immediately um, when this was happening You can rest assured that Donald Trump is enjoying watching this as a spectator, seeing people with Trump flags hanging from their, you know, from their neck like Superman capes with all of those MAGA hats on their head. You know, Donald Trump wasn't looking at the crowd to see what they were, you know, what they were doing. He was looking to see who was wearing his $15 MAGA hat and he's counting how much money and how many supporters that he has that are going to pay him the $4.99 to listen to more of his bullshit on some Trump news. News network that he's planning on, you know, creating once this whole thing is over. But I wasn't really talking about incarcerating Donald Trump right now. He's got to pass for another eight days, right? Mind you, that's a Scaramucci minus three, right? As we like to call it in the inner circle here, right? So we're talking about, I'm talking about Don Jr., I'm talking about Rudy, I'm talking about McCarthy, and I'm talking about others that were sitting up there and inciting a riot. If this was anything else, if this was anything else, these people would have already been handcuffed, and I don't understand why they weren't.
0: Interestingly enough, what you're seeing is is corporate America moving faster than Justice America is, right? Nothing has caused corporate America to say, we're not giving donations uh, to Republicans. We're not giving donations to anybody who voted against certifying the election. And they've done that in the last few days, which I find fascinating. I don't know how they decided this was the last line, but they have decided this is the last line. And that hits Donald Trump where it really hurts, right? He was counting up uh, $15 hats and $4.99 subscriptions versus the idea that major companies, the guy's been minting money since the election, right? Donald Trump has used the election, uh, his loss as a way to, to make money. Uh, And and that's why he's kept this gravy train going, because it's profitable for him. But now that's starting to hit him where it hurts, which I think is kind of interesting, uh, because to Donald Trump, uh, I think that part, the adulation and the money matters more. That said, after January 20th, I think he does start some kind of media operation. uh, and, And I think it could be very lucrative and very threatening to Fox News at the moment. And part of the problem with that is that as you get people further and further from something that might be a center or a potential center, uh, it it becomes very damaging because you can't can't reach them. So I will never reach those people at that point. And I don't know how we cross that line, how we say we'd like to have a discussion, because I have a whole bunch of people saying, a lot of Republicans, in fact, saying this is divisive, this is bad for the country, this is about unity, we've got to heal. And a whole lot of people on the left saying, not really interested in healing right now. You all need to go to jail uh, and be called the traitors that you are. And I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle where I think, I think you're not going to get anywhere with your fellow people, your fellow citizens. If a third of them voted for Donald Trump, we're going to have to have some kind of conversation about what your grievance is and how it gets addressed. Not, not, my viewers don't all agree with me on that, but how do you have that right now when we are getting more and more extreme and people's consumption of media is getting more and more extreme?
1: It's, you know, when I was watching this thing happening, I had a thought in my head, and it actually scared the shit out of me, Ali. To be very, very honest with you, you believe that Trump and his proxies were involved in the planning of the riot in terms of providing whether it's material support, logistics, or other aid, because I can see whether it's Donald, whether it's Jr., whether it's Rudy, fueling this flame through their, you know, side hustles right through their media exposures that aren't under their name or creating some form of logistics because the whole thing to me again was just so absurd the fact that you could storm the Capitol, right, right. something has to in my opinion something has to be going on here
0: yeah and i guess the the, the interesting part here is determining whether it, it, the, Donald Trump has just learned how to manipulate the levers of influence and power so much that, uh, and, and you know this, right? You talked about the the times in your book where Donald Trump didn't have to say something explicitly for people who followed him to know what to do. So in this case, it's the same thing. Donald Trump has tapped in so deeply to a grievance that, that is out there that he's connected to, to racism and anti-Semitism and homophobia and all of these things and figured out a way to say, I'm gonna connect your grievance to the fact that you call yourself patriots. And we're going to make those two things the same thing, which kind of annoys me, Michael, because I'm a patriot. Like, I, I, I'm i scared to say that. I don't want to say I'm a patriot because it, it sounds like you're a racist lunatic now to be a patriot. But he has let, allowed people to capitalize on this. And to some degree, I think he just has to say, don't let them do this. Don't let them get away from this. Let's let's go to the Capitol. Let's march to the Capitol. And these people are so worked up that they will do his bidding. He didn't tell anybody to go die or get shot or kill someone. But that's what happened. People got shot. People kill, People died. A cop was killed. Right. That's that's what he does. So I don't know whether we even need to prove whether there was some actual legitimate connection. If we can understand that inciting violence against a, a Democratic government is the most serious thing that you can do in America. Uh, he talked about shooting a person on Fifth Avenue. This is worse. Yeah, it is worse. You know, after what happened. I'll be honest with you,
1: I can't understand how there are still individuals in Congress who are defending the president. I I really can't. And they go on television, they defend him, even after everything that has taken place. Now, obviously, I understand Trump's popular appeal with his base. And this I get. I saw it from the beginning when he termed and coined the silent majority. I get that. But the attack was so grotesque that there is no logical defense at all. For what had happened. What do you believe is going through the minds of individuals? Let me rephrase that. What's going through the minds of fucking assholes like Josh Hawley or
0: Ted Cruz, who I, I despise, Ted Cruz? Yeah, and I, I don't, you know, I wonder because on some hand, some of these people are, are less popular, as we know, than Donald Trump amongst that base. They're worried about getting primary, things like that. But in Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz's case, you know, Josh Hawley, both of them hold themselves up as conservative thinkers. Right. And, and, and they want they want to be they both want to be president and they both don't want to lose this base. So to them, they are hoping Donald Trump doesn't win run again. He becomes a media uh, you know guy. He runs his media company and, and the wealth and influence controls him and that he throws his support behind one of them. And because they don't believe that they can access his base as well as Donald Trump can. And I think that's possibly true. That Donald Trump is unique amongst world leaders in history in being able to access um, and stir up hatred and, and, and violence amongst his base. So I think they're they're really thinking about the long game. They're thinking, how do I become president in 2024? But for all the other randos in Congress who, who support him, for what, to what end? What, what do you get for this? This is anti-democratic. You were taken under siege. When they wanna take away democracy, they wanna take away your democracy too. They were gonna hang Mike Pence. Mike Pence is in the White House yesterday talking to Donald Trump. And I'm thinking to myself, if my boss wanted to hang me, I wouldn't actually be able to get out over that very quickly. I would actually say, you were trying to take away democracy. This is not de- Democrat democracy. This is everybody's democracy. Whether you're an independent or a, a libertarian or a Republican or a-, 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 a Democrat, this should affect you equally. And I don't understand how this got partisan, Michael. I don't understand why a normal Republican would look at that crowd, that mob, and say, they're my people. Absolutely. But for the same reason that Republican
1: lawmakers have you know, predictably tried to pivot attention away from the riot now towards Trump's Twitter ban and the so-called stifling of conservative free speech across the tech space. Right now, while their argument is, in my opinion, absolutely absurd. It does seem to be gaining a lot of traction, especially at Fox News, who has taken up the fight. Now, this is another thing that I don't get is Fox News. They have to understand Trump is intending on destroying them and taking their support, taking their viewership, and yet... They're still going ahead and they're still following this crazy, this crazy ideology.
0: You can see the tension building at Fox, right, where there's some anchors who now hold people to account and some of them are, are doing new stuff. But yeah, in the end, Donald Trump is out to destroy them. Like, doesn't matter to us at MSNBC, right? He never liked us anyway. So- I don't live or die by what Donald Trump uh, is going to do with my viewers. I I, I don't live in any fear that any of my viewers are going to stop being MSNBC viewers and somehow are going to end up on Trump TV or whatever the case is. But if I were Fox, I would take this opportunity to remind people that being conservative is not a is 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 a mainstream ideology. Um, In Canada, conservatives you know were the government for a long time. They 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 also endorsed universal healthcare and things like that. Being conservative doesn't mean being crazy. It doesn't mean being violent. It doesn't mean, uh, being, uh, being, being racist and anti-Semitic. So I don't really understand why Fox doesn't lean into that and say, we're going to redefine what conservative means in this country. You can go follow the crazy if you want. But they're following the crazy. This, this whole business of censorship, it was up long before the parlor being taken off of Amazon Web Services and being taken out of the Google Play Store and the Amazon, the, the Apple uh, Store. It, it was They were talking about censorship. I'd go around America and people would tell me about how these people are being censored. Michael, if you're showing up on my TV show or you've got a Twitter account or you're making speeches or you're holding press conferences at Four Seasons Total Landscaping, you're not being censored. People are misunderstanding the term uh, censorship. If you The fact that you're on TV talking about how you're being censored means you're not being censored.
1: Yeah, that's very true. Well, then what else do you believe that Trump's core of apologists have up their sleeve to try to distract from January 6th? Because January 6th is, as I started this conversation with you, will be remembered as one of the worst days in American history, at least in our generation.
0: Well, keep in mind that more people died on January 6th from coronavirus than died in 9-11. So now, to the extent that one way or the other, they got the conversation off of coronavirus, right? Donald Trump doesn't want us talking about the fact that three and a half thousand people are dying every day on his watch. So to him, um, maybe this distraction's better because he gets adulation from his own people. What I wonder about is whether Donald Trump and Republicans have registered how much of a line got crossed on January 6th. That, that reasonable people who otherwise voted for Donald Trump are saying, wait a second, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for insurrection and a coup and the destruction of the basis of American democracy. There's no American who doesn't look, well, there clearly are not no Americans, but everybody looks at, at, at Congress or looks at the Capitol building and looks at the flag and says that represents something to them. And that is strength and that is individuality and that is uh, freedom from tyranny, or you can look at the Statue of Liberty and, and feel the same thing. This doesn't fit the insurrection, the stopping of a vote, the potential uh, uh, arrest and 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 t- hostage taking or kidnapping of members of Congress, the hanging of the vice president. None of that fits unless you believe that this really is a tyranny and that this really is the kind of stuff that QAnon has been talking about. So now these these platforms take action against QAnon and actual conspiracy theorists, some who have been elected to Congress. And that's where we're running into problems, right? You can't yell fire in a crowded theater if there isn't a fire in a crowded theater because your lie will cause harm, maybe cause death. That's what happened. All they're saying is this is the, this is the fire in a crowded theater thing. If your lie causes harm and death, you can't actually do it. That's not censorship. That's public safety.
1: Yeah, so you know, I've been reading accounts of both lawmakers and the working press who were struck in the Capitol building during the riot. And I find it personally chilling. I think most people don't understand just how close we actually came to there being a mass massacre on that day. I really don't. And as someone who covers politics for MSNBC, you must have countless friends in Washington who were trapped in the building that day. Yeah. Can you describe for me some of the calls and text you got as it was happening? Because for me, the one... There were several, but the one that was chilling was that police officer that was stuck in between the door and getting, you know, and just in massive amounts of pain. And you would think that forgetting whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, an insurrectionist, a communist, it's a human being that's being smashed into a small space, screaming that he's he's in pain. And yet what did they do? they pushed even harder. And even my heart goes out for that guy or the officer that was running up the stairs, trying to protect the Senate entrance,
0: goading a crowd to follow him, to get them away from the Senate entrance. Like I was thinking that guy's going to run out of runway in a minute. And this crowd's going to be upon him. And fortunately he was radioing that where he was going. And at at one point he gets up the stairs and, and a bunch of other officers join him. But that is remarkable. I spoke to I don't know, six or seven lawmakers, uh, you know, right after this happened and they were telling me what was going on, what was going through their minds. Uh, and and for all of them, it was visceral fear, right? Visceral fear for democracy and visceral fear for their lives and visceral fear for their staffs. Not not sort of, hey, they got this under control. There was a real feeling that how is this happening? But to, to your point about how warped some of it is, um, Susan Collins, the Senator from Maine, She wrote a long account uh, that was published uh, this week about what she went through. It was a very detailed account. And she says, the first thought as, as it was happening is that Iran has made good on its threat to attack the Capitol. I'm thinking, you've gotta be kidding, Susan Collins. You've been hearing for days that Donald Trump wanted to march on the Capitol. That afternoon, Donald Trump was marching on the Capitol and you thought it was Iran? That is the kind of denialism that we are living in right now. It wasn't Iran. It was your president of the United States. Now, if you thought Iran was invading the Capitol and then you found out it wasn't, why are you not up there calling for impeachment immediately? Why are you, if, if, if the United States president does something as harmful to you as you believe an adversary like Iran was going to do, Why are you mum about this? Why are you not out there calling every one of your Republican senator colleagues and and Republican House colleagues and saying, we got to do this now? And you do have to make to, to, to provide the lesson because Donald Trump will run in 2024 and he will back candidates in 2024. So unless we send the message that this was wrong and needs to be punished, this BS argument about it's all about unity and bringing people together. I'm all about unity and bringing people together. Trust me. But this is criminal activity that is anti-democratic. At some point, we have to say that can't be tolerated.
1: Let me put your mind at ease for a second. Donald Trump is not, and I'll say it again, is not running in 2024. Based upon what I already know, what's happening here in New York with the DA, the AG, as well as other states, as well as other um, judicial and you know, congressional committees. Donald Trump's not running from anything except for the law. So I want to make that crystal clear. But I will also say that I believe every one of those police officers, especially the one that brought the crowd to the right instead of to the left, as well as the officer that was getting crushed, they're the ones that deserve the Medal of Freedom, not, you know, morons like Devin Nunes or, you know, Jim Jordan, a, a fucking asshole, another one, right? I mean, these are the people that put their lives on the line to protect other people. You know, good for Bill Belichick to turn around to tell Donald, I don't want your medal of freedom, because it's got a stink of shit on it that I would never put on myself. So good for him. But I do also then want to bring up the differing responses between, for example, the Black Lives Matter protests over the summer and the January 6th riot that has raised some incredibly painful truths about race and privilege in this country. Describe for me what officials are saying to you about the use of force last June versus what happened last week.
0: Yeah, look, uh, there are some quarters uh, in the right who are saying strange how the media was supportive of those marches that were riots. And yet this one, uh, they wanna call it a coup and an insurrection and they wanted more violence. I, I was out there right after George Floyd died. I was in Minneapolis. Um, I was involved in the, the you know, I was following the marches. I got tear gassed, I got hit by a rubber bullet. I, I saw every last part of it. Um, and to start with, there were two fundamental differences between the social justice marches and what happened. The social justice marches were actually uh, quite racially and ethnically diverse. They were, uh, Minneapolis is not actually a majority black city. It was mostly white people, but there were white people and black people. Here in New York, in Chicago, all the places I were in, it was a, a racially diverse um, effort to say, can the law, can democracy and the law be applied equally to all people, including uh, People of color and black people, right? It was it was it was the idea that we're not we're not challenging your law. We would like to be have the law applied to us differently. Because if you're a black man who gets stuck stopped by police, you are likely to be judged, adjudicated, and possibly um, sentenced on the spot, and that sentence could be death. Very different argument than what was going on in Washington. So to equate the two um, is is it doesn't make any sense. But on the other hand. I was there, I was there with National Guard and police as people were protesting, they were up in their face and they were doing all sorts of things. It never crossed a line into what we saw last week. People would have had their heads blown off if, if they had tried to do what these people got away with doing at the United States Capitol. Certainly if there was warning about it and they they knew about it. So very different things. I was in Minneapolis, there was buildings burning behind me and I made the point on television, I was with Brian Williams and I said, Brian, I, it's all burning. I wanna make the point that most people here are actually peaceful protesters. Right wing media has taken that clip and taken it out of context to say that I thought that was a peaceful protest. I fully understand buildings burned. People lost their businesses. Um, There is a there's a bad side uh, to some of what happened this summer. But there were people protesting the fact that their rights are not enshrined. So what happens and, and here's the one similarity. You're a young black man in America and you say the social contract doesn't apply to me right? Your laws don't apply to me. I don't get justice applied the same way. So I'm not going to follow the rest of your laws. And some people get into that mindset. And that's, I think, where, where looting comes in. So every looter is not, is not thinking about George Floyd, but they are thinking about the fact that, that your laws don't apply to me for good or for bad. This thing on January 6th was about overturning the law, overturning the government. And that's what the distinction was. We have a law. We have votes. White people in this country are not subject to discrimination under the law uh, or in policing or things like that. They were just threatened into thinking that they will lose something if other people have rights. And that's the difference. They they are coming at it from opposite places. The Black Lives Matter movement was there to say, we, in theory, live in this democracy, apply it equally to all of us. And this thing was saying, those people are taking our rights, so we're going to overturn it.
1: Yeah, what people don't realize is just how close the United States came to becoming a dictatorship. Because had Donald Trump won the election, rest assured, like I have been right on every single thing— Virtually every single thing that I have said, Donald Trump would have tried to figure out how to become a president for life. He would go for another term and another, and then he would try to pass it to one of his idiot children and so on. And then they would keep perpetuating it. And he wants to be the Vladimir Putin of the United States. But, you know, CNN reported yesterday, Ali, that the FBI was warning of significant threats to state capitals across the country, as well as plans to attack the inauguration. What are you hearing from your domestic security sources about who is behind these new
0: threats? So, you know, uh, Parlor got shut down a few days ago, but um, there's still a lot of stuff out there. There are a lot of other places that people have figured out how to go to to get the communication. And most of this is done on social media. And the degree to which it is a decentralized operation is kind of remarkable because there's a lot of 8chan and 4chan going on, um, you know, deep. Uh, chats where these people, particularly those who fancy themselves militia, members and and armed uh, insurgents, uh, gather. So there, we are hearing the same thing that there are there are protests, possibly violent protests, planned for every state capital uh, and the capital. Uh, there 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 are some people whose goal it is to completely derail the inauguration in pursuit of what you just said, right? Donald Trump's attempt to continue being president. Um, they believe if they can disrupt the inauguration, now the point is you can't disrupt the inauguration. If they have to have it virtually, they'll have it virtually, and they'll bring uh, the the the, the the chief justice of the Supreme Court to a secure place in the White House, and they'll do it there. And I don't think it matters. I frankly think all the better if we do it virtually and don't give these Yahoo's something to, to rally around. You'll notice one thing that happened last weekend is you didn't have counter riots. You didn't have counter violence, right? Because um, you didn't have Black Lives Matter and, and pro-democracy protesters saying, go there and show them what's what. They were like, don't give Donald Trump a reason to bring the, the military in for the wrong reasons. So that's why they ended up storming the Capitol. They didn't get the response that they wanted. So I think that we've gotta look at this very, very carefully because Donald Trump is very interested in anything. As far as he's concerned, he may be um, a Scaramucci minus three away from not being president, or he might have some more aces up his sleeve, right? He saw a whole bunch of people risk their lives for him and I don't know how many of those people went away thinking some of them might have heard his speech that night on Wednesday night, where he said I don't I don't condone this violence. But most people still think that they are at the front of a cause, and the Proud Boys still organize, and and conservative groups like Turning Point USA still organize. And so there's going to be people out there this weekend, and and I think the best advice to uh, everybody else is let uh, let law uh, law enforcement handle this thing. Don't go out there and fight people in the streets. Remember in Congress that day. Mike Pence was there, Kamala Harris, the next vice president of the United States was there. The, 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 the chair of the Senate was in there. Nancy Pelosi was in there. Kevin McCarthy was in there. They could have taken out all of American congressional leadership. There are 8,000 people there. They could have done it, right? It, it, it actually, that's how close we were. This wasn't some kind of TV show. This actually happened. They had weaponry. They had overcome the Capitol Police. And because the Secretary of the Army Maybe he didn't get the he didn't get the request, but because they did not authorize the military to come out there, lives were lost.
1: Right, Ali. This is like a bad version of House of Cards. I mean, yeah. if it wasn't real, this would be a crazy, crazy episode where everybody would shake their head and say it's impossible. It's They'd just- laugh
0: the writers out. They'd say that doesn't. It's nothing could happen like that. You, can, you can't have a bus right, reaching the Capitol.
1: This would be jumping the shark. But you know, on January seventh, you retweeted Steve Schmidt who wrote. At Project Lincoln, we'll be running a brutal corporate pressure campaign targeting companies, trade associations, CEOs, directors, and senior leadership of organizations that serve as the financiers of the authoritarian movement that attacked the U.S. capital. I'm curious what the response has been from the larger business community yeah. as money is the coin of the realm in politics yeah. and this move – right here might be more effective than just about anything because I, I'll, I'll go one step. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What I was going to say is I also received a dozen texts and tweets this morning asking me to identify major corporations or businesses of people that, um, are members of various different Trump clubs and people who support the Trump campaign and so on. And I'm just about really ready to start putting together that list. You know, yeah. some people who I used to call friends, some people that I've battled against, but there are a slew of doctors and lawyers and bankers and businessmen that yeah. all support Donald Trump. And you know what? Maybe that's what we do. Maybe we create a list and then let let people boycott their business yeah. so that they have no money in order
0: to pay the 4.99 right. a month to this lunatic that's right and and i think i happen to think that people talk, walking with their wallets is really good so those kinds of threats from guys like steve schmidt caused a lot of ceos and companies and boards to uh have this conversation ahead of time, that before somebody does start that campaign, let's uh, ask for our money back for donations that were given. Let's not uh, support uh, either Republican causes or Republican adjacent causes or or donations to anybody who voted against the certification of Joe Biden as the president of the United States. Because now we're not talking about politics, right? A lot of companies want to stay above the fray. They'll donate to both Democrats and Republicans. In a given cycle, they'll donate more to Republicans or more to Democrats, depending on how the winds are shifting or Or certain policies, now they are saying, this is not above the fray. This is about democracy versus dictatorship. This is about democracy versus a coup. This is about an insurrection. This isn't about Republican politics. There's a big opening for conservatives who want to say, and by the way, in the end, Project Lincoln's folks are mostly conservatives. They may may go out and try to start a new party that actually represents people with conservative interests who like lower taxes or things like that, not craziness. And, and so I think that this is going to be very influential. In fact, I heard rumor that Donald Trump, uh, upset though he is about all sorts of things that are happening and being taken off of Twitter, um, he, and that he lost the vote to certify him, is more upset about the, the, the golf tournament that's being canceled at, uh, at one of his golf clubs. So this is how his mind works. It's, this, it's the same mind as all these dictators. It's, it's, it's small-minded, it's petty, it's self-serving. And, and if his followers could just understand this, that's not your savior. I would say to them as an economics journalist, you have a real complaint. I I would like to hear your complaint. I'd like to figure out a way to to solve it so that you don't feel like you've been walked on by an economy that is strong, by strong GDP, by strong share prices. But let's talk about that. He's not your answer. He's not going to solve your problem. He's just going to get you in jail or get you killed.
1: Well, think about it, right? Good for the PGA for pulling out on Uh, the Trump golf course there in um, Bedminster, New Jersey. And I can tell you, because I remember going back maybe six years or so, maybe eight years when they told him that in 2022, that his Trump national Bedminster would have the PGA tournament, there. he was beyond ecstatic. It's actually why he was so interested in buying the Doral because it already contained a PGA attached to it. And he always wants to be a part of a community or a club, right? That, He knows he can't be a part of, which also included when he wanted to buy the Buffalo Bills, right? You needed 31 of the majority of the members in order to vote you in, and he wasn't getting that. But I thought what was interesting is that he's more concerned about loss of the PGA than anything, and the people that are supporting him to me, at least watching them, don't look like golfers. I mean, maybe they'll hit you with a nine iron, but they didn't look like the golfing community to me. And he is more concerned about that loss than the potential loss of life, not only to those supporters, the insurrectionists, but rather to any of the members of Congress. And I will tell you something that bothered me. I put out a tweet myself yesterday uh, on this. I find it very interesting that so many of our politicians will sit there and say, um, I can't believe that they were coming after us, that Donald Trump was coming after us. You, Donald Trump, and you, Donald Trump supporters, are putting our lives, our families' lives, in jeopardy as a result of Trump's crazy talk, right? And Trump's Twitter account and so on. Well, I certainly don't recall many of them. Some did, but... The vast majority did not take the same position when it was me or my family that Donald Trump was attacking on Twitter. When I turned around, and I said to the Honorable Elijah Cummings, "God rest his soul," when I said to him, "Mr. Cummings, I can't go. I can't appear. I can't take the train. I can't fly, right? The, Trump has made me, you know, enemy number one." Not only am I in fear for my life, which I talk about in my book, Disloyal, not only am I in fear for my life, but I'm in fear for my family's life. And we asked Nancy Pelosi to draft some sort of admonishment to the president for doing this, right? The only people that did it were like Eric Swalwell and Jerry Nadler. I mean, they all joined in on a letter. But what protection do they think that they're entitled to more than me?
0: Yeah, and I, I, you know, I was talking to Reverend Al Sharpton the other day, and and I, he was talking about most influential books, and I, I, actually named yours because I said, um, you are one. You and Mary Trump are the only people who've written books who really are inside Trump's head, who can really understand things that the rest of us don't. That you wouldn't understand even if you were a business partner or a, or somebody else. And and I think that you know the degree to which this vindictiveness. Um, exists with Donald Trump. And he can target anybody, target you or the institution of Congress or Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton. I think if people understand that his vindictiveness is not normal grievance, right? When we are in politics, there are grievances. There are people you don't like and the people you don't want to win. But he takes us to another level and it becomes threat and intimidation. And now it has been laid bare. So when it happened to you, People didn't really know who you were all that well, or they didn't know, or they maybe they wouldn't identify, didn't identify with you, or thought that you had been with him for a long time. So you knew what was coming. Now you realize he can do this to anybody who's got nothing to do with him, and he can target not just Michael Cohen, but institutions, including the most democratic and the most important institutions in our country. He did it to the Justice Department. He did it to cabinet secretaries who were not, were not loyal to him. He did it to anybody who either didn't carry his water or used to carry his water and stopped carrying it at some point. Donald Trump is that dangerous. And you were one of our first insights into that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, when Adam Schiff, um, his people contacted me and Swalwell and Nadler uh, and so on to say, you know, we're going to put out an admonishment letter. That was the best that I was able to get. And I appreciate what they did. I really do. And so did my family. But it certainly didn't let me sleep better at night. um, Because, again, Donald Trump has the ability to gaslight, he knows it. He feeds off of it, he lives for it, and he's willing to... If I would have gotten
0: killed, he would have been like, oh, well, it happens, you know, I... I, I." He wouldn't have had to send someone. He just, all he has to do is, it's it's like a mafia boss thing, right? Hence why I
1: always said that Donald Trump behaves like a mafia boss. So, Ali, as we're winding down this hour, and we get to our sort of last questions here, um, I really want to ask you, because we touched on it before, What do you think is going through Mike Pence's mind where he will not invoke the 25th Amendment for a man who actually sent rioters into the building to hang him, right? It's absolute madness that this man still has people willing to stand by him at this moment. See, I at least had a notion what was going on. Early on, like right after the raid, I didn't want to believe it because I didn't believe that a man who I had been so close to for over a decade, right, that would actually do the things to me that we had done to others. I, I really didn't believe it. I was stuck in this cult of Donald Trump like these supporters are right now. But Mike Pence, for God's sakes, you know, sometimes you have to look at what happens to somebody else in order to understand what's coming down the pike for you? Yeah. And I don't think Mike Pence is stupid, right? Clearly he
0: must be something. It's very weird because, you know, I think a lot of people wondered what Mike Pence was going to do about this vote on last Wednesday. And and I think you've made it clear that he has no power to do anything other than count the ballots. And that was going to happen. So I think a lot of people sort of had some grudging respect for him in that moment to say, well, you've been sort of Trump's uh, lackey in chief for four years, but okay, interesting. You fr- when it comes down to what matters, um, you've decided to take a stand. But then after they they erect an actual gallows, president doesn't call him at any point to check on his safety. Doesn't talk to him until uh, you know several days later. I don't know, Michael. I'd be done. I'd be done. Like I, I I I'll tolerate some things from my boss and my coworkers. I won't tolerate that death threats or the the uh, acknowledgement of it. So I I, I have to say. Mike Pence, after climbing up a couple notches in my estimation has dropped down again, because at some point you have to have the human decency to say, dude, you tried to, you, you, you kind of implied that I should be killed, or you were fine with people suggesting that i be killed, hanged. Um, I'm not cool with this. We're, we're not, we're not going to carry on. But instead they put out some namby pamby statement about how they're going to work together. And they were reflecting on the last four years of achievement um, and what, what great stuff did and, and how those people out there didn't represent the make America great movement, you know, Nonsense. I mean, what achievement? See, that's the whole thing. We got 400,000 people. We're going to have 400,000 people dead from coronavirus. Uh, yeah. Cities burning in the summer. What achievement?
1: Right. That's what I keep asking when people tell me, you know, Donald Trump did this. Donald Trump did that. I always say there's an old expression. Numbers don't lie. People do. And Donald Trump fucking lies more than anybody that I, I have ever met in my entire life. Right. So I say, tell me what he's achieved. And something that I've become somewhat passionate about is the First Step Act and prison reform. Because I know, I've been there, and I know how it sucks, and I know how it fucks up your family, and it messes up your mind, right? I mean, I still don't sleep at night. I still, in the middle of the night, I wake up thinking that there's a light being flashed in my eyes, which is what the guards would do to you every 15, 30 minutes while you're trying to fall asleep. So... Yeah, I believe in prison reform, and I've actually brought a writ of habeas corpus as well as a writ of mandamus in the Southern District, which I filed about three weeks ago. Finally, one of the – the writ of mandamus was assigned the other day, and I truly believe that based upon precedented law – one that was actually created by my former attorney, the one that got me out after the second when the government retaliated and threw me into prison because I wouldn't allow them to violate my First Amendment constitutional right, Donya Perry. She has a precedented case, which I intend on using, against Michael Carvajal, the BOP, the U.S. government. The only bipartisan document that was signed by the president, right, has still failed. They can't even figure out how to convert the number of hours based upon programming credits and work credits. They can't even figure out how they're going to convert it into days so that you can get out of prison for home confinement or if you're on home confinement to supervise release. We have made incarceration into a business, right? And our prosecutors are as guilty as anybody along with the judges in what's going on here. They just allow this to perpetuate. And all that's happening right now
0: is we've made prison into a business so that people can have jobs. It's a perverse incentive, I always say. We, you shouldn't, pr- prison shouldn't be a profitable enterprise for anybody. And then, then you'll only have the people in prison who you have to... Well, you're just talking about domestic stuff. We're more at risk on the world stage. We haven't got Russia under control. China is expansionist. Uh, Iran is uh, building up its nuclear stockpile. North Korea says uh, it has missiles that can get to America. Domestic or international. We're not further ahead. The stock market's higher and he cut taxes. And that's what I hear when I go out into America. It's like, I ask people who tell me about this. Are you very heavily invested in the stock market? Because demographics suggest that you're not. The stock market's up and he cut taxes. That's what people say. Yeah. You
1: don't even have to, you don't even have to be heavily invested because everything is relative. If you're a billionaire, if you don't have a half 500 million and you're not heavily invested, because when I, I remember when I was at Otisville and I would speak to some of the correctional officers, and while these guys were former Marines or um, servicemen, right, and now, of course, they're part of law enforcement, I would say, how could you possibly be a supporter of Trump? The guy denigrates four-star generals like it's, like it's nothing, right? He doesn't care about law enforcement. He denigrates them as well. How could you possibly... Be a supporter Well, my 401k is up. And I sit there and I say, you've got to be kidding me. You're really not that shallow, are you? Right? Because your 401k, even if it's up 20% a year, based upon the devaluation of the dollar and what's going on nationally and internationally, your portfolio, by the time you end
0: up selling it, won't be worth dog shit anyway. So what's the point? Now, I still like them. That's what I keep hearing. People say, believe what he tells them, not what they experience.
1: Yeah, and that's a shame. Well, Ali, I really want to thank you um, for your time, your insight. I thank you for – I watch you every weekend. I love watching you on MSNBC. Uh, keep up the great work. Stay safe. Believe me, I know that those rubber bullet hurts. I remember as, uh, when I was uh, uh, you know, in the fraternity at ZBT at American, we used to go and we used to play paintball. You know, two, three times a year. I got hit a couple of times, like in the rib cage. Let me tell you, those fuckers leave a nice little mark on you. So I can only imagine, you know, how much that must have
0: really hurt. That's, uh, that's my, we all have souvenirs of the Trump era. That's mine. You got your own. Oh,
1: I definitely have mine. Ali, I want to thank you again. And please be safe. As, um, you know, Joe Biden keeps saying, mask up and safe social that's distance. Right. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Ali. In the days since the riot, we have witnessed all manner of sick and deranged behavior from Trump supporters looking to find justification in last Wednesday's attack. The key is not to allow MAGA propagandists the space or the opportunity to spin an alternate set of facts as it relates to the riot. What happened was real, and it was fucking deadly, and it will have lasting consequences for the GOP for at least a generation. It's the kind of accountability that has vanished from politics since Trump came into office four years ago. That the GOP has found its courage with one week left in his administration is both sad and sickening. Mitch McConnell may have announced his intention to purge Trump from the party, but he will have to forever reckon with his role in enabling and protecting Trump for all these years. Without McConnell holding his nose while Trump debased himself and the presidency, Trump may have been forced towards accountability much sooner. Unfortunately, we will never know. And thanks for listening. Maya Culper is brought to you by LSJ Media and Audio Up, in association with Midas Touch, and it's hosted by me, Michael Cohen, produced by Audio Up by Jimmy Jelnick and executive producer Jared Gustav, and it's edited by Tyler Dawson. Please stay tuned as we focus on the changing political moment and this unprecedented transfer of power. I'll be with you every step of the way. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth. This is
0: my mea culpa. It's clear to you that de-icing the wings will not be
1: done in a jiffy. You look for phone outlets but see none, only photos of phone outlets. A voice announces your gate is now 39C-12B-9A. It's like musical chairs, if musical chairs made you sob in the pet relief area. A child picking his nose stares. His parents have abandoned him. The airport will raise him now.
0: Don't let flight delays ruin your vacation.
1: Go on a real vacation. Go RVing.